Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I am your host, Elaine miller Karras. And I am so happy to be here today with my two guests who are my first international guests since starting Resiliency Within in January, and they reside in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So this episode is called Northern Ireland Resiliency, the Prison Ombudsman and Victim Support Northern Ireland. My guests today are Leslie Carroll and Jelena Flett. Leslie is the Prison Ombudsman for Northern Ireland, a job which she cherishes as an opportunity to bring hope to those who experience a loss of voice and respect. She is also a Presbyterian minister. Jelena Flett is the head of services of Victim Support Northern Ireland, overseeing the delivery of the direct support services to victims of crime. And this episode will highlight the work these two extraordinary women are leading in Northern Ireland. What a better time. Today, this month is uh, National Women's Month. Isn't that so? And here we have two leaders. So Leslie Carroll, I'm going to talk a little bit about Leslie for a second. She has been cultivating strong relationships for a lifetime in Northern Ireland. And as a natural leader, she has brought resiliency practices to her beloved country. She learned about the community resiliency money model, and she saw a way forward from the entanglement of past experiences, not just for herself, but for the community of Northern Ireland. She believes passionately that the wellness skills of the community resiliency model can help those caught in the cycle of traumatic responses, continually triggered by unsettled politics and public debate. She is one of the founders of the Community Resiliency Network, Ireland. Jolena Flett comes to us from Victim Support Northern Ireland, and, and it is an independent charity which helps people affected by crime. They offer a free and confidential service whether or not a crime has been reported and regardless of how long ago the event took place. Jolena is a community resiliency model teacher, and she's responsible for the integration, I'll call it CRIM from here on out, into the organization at all levels for staff and volunteers. Her current work is now expanding I'm so excited about this, Jolita, through the development of a modified CRIM module that will be taken not only throughout um, Northern Ireland, but across Europe. And I want to say, so some of our guests may not know what the community resiliency model is, so I'm just going to say a few things about it before I start talking to you all. Um, so the community resiliency model is a set of six wellness skills that can be easily learned by individuals across the lifespan. It's an evidence-based and research-informed. Its design takes into consideration our current understanding of neuroscience. And research has shown us it's not only, it can significantly decrease um, symptoms of depression and anxiety and increase well-being. And the six wellness skills can be interwoven into the activities of daily living and can be found on the free iChill app in the Android or the Apple Store. I just happen to be one of the uh, key developers of the community resiliency model, too, I'll just say as a byline here. So welcome, Ash. <laughs> welcome, Leslie and Jolita. And I am going to ask you both, what's on your mind as we get started today? And I'll start with Leslie. What's on my mind? Um, how do I get through the next hour with you, Elaine? Would be <laughs> one thing that's on my mind. Okay. <laughs> I know you have some skills, Leslie, to help you with that. We'll get through, don't worry. Um, I, I suppose there are lots of things on my mind. Uh, work, uh, how, how do we get it all done? When will we ever get back to normal? What will normal be like? Uh, will it feel better than this? I would like it to feel better than this. Those are the kinds of things on my mind. And I think just for our listeners to know that, that in, in Northern Ireland, they've been on lockdown and they still are. I know that we're right. coming on to St. Paddy's Day that is a very big event mm -hmm. in Ireland. And I understand that you're going to be sh you're still going to be shut down during, uh, during St. Patrick's Day as well. So, and how long have you been on shutdown now? Well, we, we are on our third, I think, lockdown. Um, third lockdown, Okay. Yeah, so this this one started uh, between Christmas and New Year. Okay. So we're only we only go to work if we have to. I it has see. to be essential. Otherwise, okay. people are working from home. Shops are closed, except for uh, stores where you get your groceries or essential goods. We're not allowed to travel more than ten miles from our home. 
uh, we're not allowed to walk with a lot of friends. We can meet one other person at a time from one other household outside. Um, we're not allowed people in our homes. Oh, uh, we're not allowed people in our gardens. There are no restaurants, bars, anything. So it is quite different. I know the last time it's I was tight. in Ireland, which yeah. was right before the pandemic, it was quite different than that. I want to uh, turn over to Jolina and ask her where she is right now. What, what are, what, any thoughts that you want to start with, Jolina? Um, I think for me, the the thought that struck me was when you were talking there about it just being um, international Women's Day recently and um, celebrating just leadership of women. And it just kind of struck me how privileged I was to be part of that and to, to be on your program um, during that time as a woman in leadership. And I, I don't think I've ever really thought of myself that way. Um, and uh, so when you were saying that, um, I think it just kind of struck me about how how privileged I am to, to be part of that, to be amongst great women of leadership and to be part of, um, a, I don't know, a, a legacy that, uh, you know, has, has made such a mark on the world. Well, Jolina, I hope that you can embrace that knowledge of yourself as a leader. You know, you're our younger generation and you're the same age as my children. So I'm so excited to have you here on the show today. And I know you have much to share with us. So I want to start out by just asking you too, how, how did you two meet? Now here we have Leslie as a prison ombudsman. Here you are working with victims of crime. So how did this happen? And I know also, Jolina, you have your master's in criminology from Queens, Queens College. So tell me a little bit about this. So um, who wants to go first to say what that, how did you, I'm going to ask Leslie. So Leslie, how did you meet? Okay. Well, actually, I worked at Victim Support for a couple of years uh, before I, I took on this job and uh, I met Jolena there. Her, her desk was close to mine, so I could see what she was doing. Um, and we used to um, make comments across at each other to keep ourselves entertained, didn't we, Jolena? So we had two years working together at Victim Support. So, Jolina, do you want to say anything about what it was like to have uh, Leslie just a, a, as a neighbor going <laughs> yeah. together? I mean, truly, um, without Leslie, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. So, I can I can blame her for for it all. Really, um, I think you know it was one of those just real opportune timings of of the universe. I think um, where I had recently started in victim support, leaving a job that I had um, been in for over a decade and was very close to my heart. But unfortunately, just, you know, as the charitable sector ebbs and flows, had to move on to different employment and um, had been familiar with the work of victim support. And so found myself in the very fortunate position of, of being able to find employment in a, in a similar sector with an organization that I really felt um the ethos was was something that I, I wanted to to stay within and uh, was able to to be there at the same time that that Leslie was um, and it seems like we were working there for ages together but yeah. you know even just can kind of consider it was it was really a very short period of time but I think yeah. one of the things that was happening was there was so much growth and innovation and change going on in the organization when we were both there um, that it that it seems that it was a long time because there was so much going on and so much change happening and a lot being accomplished and a lot of different directions of growth um, that you really in, in many organizations don't get the opportunity to experience or it takes a much longer period of time. Whereas when Leslie and I were there, I think it was, it was a very ambitious program of, of, of events and innovation and growth in terms of the strategy. Um, so I, I think that helps bond you very quickly when you're constantly trying to figure out how to, how to make sure you're getting everything done and doing it well. Well, and I think that one of the things too, um, Leslie would share with me when she worked there, that she was hoping to spark um, a little bit of a, a, a shifting in even the ideas of how to work with trauma. Because of course that's what um, your organization does. And she, um, I can really remember clearly meeting um, Leslie. I was in um, London 
and I was doing a training and Leslie showed up and she started talking about some of her ideas. And I had no idea then that that was, I think, in 2016 or maybe 2015 and that, that we would be such good friends and that we would do so much together and really spark a little bit of a revolution with the community resiliency model. So let's talk a little bit about the definition of resiliency and, you know, of late, you know, here in the States, but I first saw it in Northern Ireland. We were just about to start our community resiliency model training. And uh, one of the uh, individuals that we had dinner with the night before the training was to start said, well, you know, Elaine, that not everybody in Northern Ireland likes the word resiliency. I just thought I I should let you know, there's a big billboard in the sector that I live in, and it says, if someone calls you resilient, run the other way, because it's the government trying to um, really not um, acknowledge the suffering and sometimes the needs that a community has. And so since then, the term resiliency I've encountered many times is um, can be weaponized. And I always am such a strong advocate um, of the word because even though I think we can have a discussion about it to coin what that word is, I wouldn't want to throw out the word and at the same time acknowledge that it can be weaponized. I think almost any word can be weaponized, but um, I, I wouldn't want to throw this particular word out. So that's why I'm going to start with. And, you know, I know that we had a lot of conversations, Leslie, about the definition of resiliency and why you thought that this was so important for Northern Ireland. So could you say a little bit about that? Um, yeah, uh I'll start with saying something about the uh, anxiety about the word, if you like. Um, so there was a there was a, a mural painted on a wall in a part of Belfast that had suffered considerably during the years of the the conflict, um, and the mural was, as you said, Elaine, really against resiliency. Uh, and what it was saying was, please don't ask me to be resilient. I've suffered enough already. Um, so I, I find that really interesting that resiliency was something that would be asked of us rather than something that we find within ourselves. Um, and, and I think that for me is one of the starting points with the idea of resiliency. This is, this is about who each of us as individuals are and who we are as a community. Um, and I, I think there are very few people in Northern Ireland who would say anything other than we were a resilient community. We have survived so much, but it's how we survive that is, um, I suppose, the key thing here. And that's where the word resiliency adds a whole new perspective onto things. So we are very good in Northern Ireland at talking about trauma. We talk about it all the time. Not a bit of wonder. We've lived through it year after year after year. Um, so we're very good at talking about that. My concern about that was that we ended up simply traveling the old trauma road round and round and round. And even when we tried to haul ourselves out of that experience of trauma, we could only get so far because we were we were triggered by our engagements with each other, by our experience of the world or whatever it might be. So my vision was for something that would help us to get over over that obstacle if you like, and bump us off this circuitous route that trauma um, throws us onto. And that's what I really hoped. I was looking for something. I wasn't actually looking for anything at all. Initially, I didn't really realize there was anything there to look for. And then I started to read lots of stuff about trauma and stumbled across your book, Elaine, just by chance, surfing. Um, on the internet, find the book, bought the book, read the book and thought, really? Really? Could that possibly work? Um, and uh, then it, it was just serendipitous there. The training was in London. So I took the opportunity to go. And, and from then, I, I believe that this has something, something to offer to everyone. Uh, you said in your introduction about uh, this model being appropriate for people at every stage of their life. You had a lovely phrase for it. I can't remember what across it was. And yes, across the lifespan. Yes, life. across the lifespan. That was it. And that's absolutely true. It's so adaptable to people of different ages. Plus the, the training itself is adaptable. So you can you can provide as a trainer something to something to somebody that will assist them within half a day. Or you can spend a week if you would like. Yeah. 
Um, but that, that kind of flexibility around the model, which makes it accessible to people who probably can't afford it, but it makes it also accessible at the training end for people who want to be helpers and they can't find a way to be helpers. And that's really important, I think, as well. It sounds to me that that, that also that well-being, as you say, definitely exists in Northern Ireland. How could it not with all that you've been through? But there is something about also shifting the dialogue from yeah. the trauma to well-being. And so totally. with that, I'm going to ask Jolina if she would like to add her definition of, I know you've thought a lot about resiliency as well, Jolina. So would you like to add to what um, Leslie has said? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's been one of those things about becoming more aware of, of what resiliency means to me. I think, obviously, I come from an outside perspective, um, being coming from America and, you know, settling in Northern Ireland over the past almost 20 years now. Sorry, mom. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things in terms of, of resiliency has been about not just taking it for granted as as much as as I think I have over over the years of life experience and and traveling and moving to a new country and and settling into that and people talking about you know um, what a you know a brave choice that must have been to to do that and not not know anyone and then go and and I would always just write it off as well you know I was going into a university so there was structure and I didn't really you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, with the resiliency model, with the community resiliency model, understanding uh, how simple it, it is and how simple the skills are. And when you learn it, you're kind of going, really, that's it? That's that's all you have to do to, to understand and, and know? And I think for me, it was, it was that awareness of what resiliency is within myself going, huh, all those times that I decided to, you know, um, go the extra mile and learn a bit more about um, figuring out how to how to live in a country with no sun um, or, you know, being here and having a different school system and, and trying to kind of navigate that and navigate what that meant from bringing my American culture, which is a Western culture as well, however, very different and so coming into Northern Ireland and adapting and, and what that meant for me and then understanding that a large part of that was about resiliency, being able to function within that and grow within that and develop and, and you know, have good days and bad days, but understand that it was part of the learning process and learning about who I was and who I was in this new environment. And that awareness, I think, was was for me a, a large part of, of what resiliency began to mean to me. So it really expanded your 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 sense of yourself, it sounds like, and a lot of pieces in your Very life much. made sense to you. You know, and I think this happens with when we um, just for our listeners, the community resiliency model, we integrate uh, neuroscience. And some of you have heard me say this before, is that the um, neurons or brain cells that fire together, wire together. So then we say, oh, that's why I was able to endure that. There was a lot of um, courage within me and I had a strength that maybe now I can look at and see, wow, I can't believe that I was really like that. This is really true about myself. And I think that's what I've seen as we've taken the model around the world is this kind of growing awareness and, and also self-compassion about sometimes where we've been when I think all of us, myself included, um, I have times of doubt and, oh, my goodness, how did I have that reaction? And if we can bring some of that self-compassion to us, we all make errors at times. And how do we go forward um, as a result of that? And I think that ha- all the things that people in Northern Ireland that sh- have shared with me, there's been so much suffering and, and divisiveness, and yet there's been so much resilience as well. And so I think that kind of leads me to some of the, my, the next question. Um, Angelina, this is something I would like to ask you, and, and we'll come back to Leslie in a second. But, you know, how has your understanding then of CRIM improved the ethos of, of the work that you're doing within victim support? Because I know this has been a paradigm shift of sorts, and you see children, you see adults. I mean, I know people can come to see you anonymously if they've been um, the victims of crime. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? I think for me and my role, when we were initially having the discussions about how we wanted to ensure we were providing the best possible services to victims, 
a lot of that was what Leslie was doing in terms of understanding that we were an organization that had been around for almost four decades. It'll be the 40th year this year. Um, so it was looking at how how have we used all of that learning and that experience to ensure that we're continually improving and building upon that and making sure that everything we do is striving towards providing a, a fuller and sustainable approach to help people on their on their journey to recovery. How are we restoring them? What is it that we are we are doing to to make sure that we're not only meeting them at the moment of greatest crisis, but also helping them on a journey of restoration? And the idea of the community resiliency model, I think, dovetailed in that philosophy of trying to understand how our role as a charity to meet with any type of victim throughout um, any background, any type of um, environmental context that, that they're coming to us in, the, the, the different demographics, age ranges, all of those things. How do we have a universal language that we can use with anyone that's coming to us and and make sure that they are leaving us with something that helps them on their journey of recovery. And for the community resiliency model really just hit all of the right points in that. You know, we um, have psychological first aid that we built our assessments around and it was really a scaffolding for how we support people. And the great thing about the CRIM model was that it provided us with that language that it really helped us fill that fill that out, fill that process out and go, we're, we're focusing on the impact. Um, we're not able to provide counseling because of uh, the limitations um, as a charity. You know, obviously, if you want to look at the, the perfect model, they would come in and by the time they leave out the door, then, you know, they're, they're fully counsel, fully counseled and all of their information and, and everything is, is, is great. And, you know, they're, they're fully recovered and the criminal justice system hasn't done any further harm and we've reduced any harm um, to, in, in the impact of crime. So I think for us, the community resiliency model was, was that, answer for us as an organization where we wanted to develop and go, this is going to give us something that we can pass on to clients to understand within themselves what's happening and to be able to, um, not, not necessarily even about it being reactive, but they would understand it and be able to answer the, the calls of danger that were going on in their heads with a calming logical voice of going, I know what you're doing here, and I'm going to stop it and get back into my zone. Right. So I think, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, too, is that there is a certain preventive quality to CRIM. And so once you learn the skills, you can interweave it into many different settings. And so when we come back from our break, um, I'm going to also, I'm going to um, ask you, Leslie, you know, as the prison ombudsman from Northern Ireland, sounds like such a big job. And by the way, uh, Leslie is a, a very petite person. <laughs> so I'm going, you've got a very big job for such a petite person uh, with, with a mighty spirit. I'll say, Leslie, about you with a mighty spirit. So when Leslie, when we come back, Leslie will talk a little bit more about the prison ombudsman program and what she's been trying to do with that program in terms of enhancing some of the services as well. I know that I was in Northern Ireland and did a presentation for you at the prison ombudsman's office um, in December. It was at December of 2019 now. Oh my goodness, it's over a year ago, Leslie. But I'm really excited to hear all the different things that you've been doing with the program. And also, um, I would really um, would like also, Leslie, if you could tell us a little bit about the, uh, com- the community resiliency network that you formed. And I know there's a number of individuals that have come along with you with that as well, if you can highlight that. Yeah. So, um, where to start with all that, Elaine? Maybe I'll tell. Yeah. You know, so when, I think what we'll do is when we come back from the break, because we're very close to the break time at this moment in time. We've been chatting. I knew this was going to happen with the three of us, because once we start talking, we just we go on and on. But um, yep. so when we come back from the break, then you'll you'll share with our listeners 
the um, the work that you're doing with the prison ombudsman's office, and of course, Jelena will will um, pipe in some other things too about about um, victim support in Northern Ireland. So, our listeners, we will be back in a moment um, with Leslie Carroll and Jolina Flett that will talk more about resiliency in Northern Ireland. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. Um, so we are here with Leslie Carroll and Jolina Flett and Leslie is going to talk a little bit more about the Prison Ombudsman Program. And so, Leslie, over to you. What would you like to say about what's been happening with the program since you took over the leadership? Okay, so an ombudsman um, or a prisoner ombudsman in particular investigates deaths in custody, which includes post-release deaths up to 14 days after someone is released from prison. Um, and also, we have responsibility for investigating serious adverse incidents in which a prisoner may have lost his or her life, might have, had they not been found in time. We also investigate complaints um, from prisoners. So that's that's my daily daily bread, if you like. Um, I, I, I use the model myself quite a lot for um, interpreting and analysing what's going on in the world of prisons and prisoners. Um, so we, we have to be very conscious in our investigations, not just of prisoners, but of the staff that work with them, whether they be healthcare staff or prison officers or one of the many, many voluntary organisations who go in and out of prisons. We have to be conscious of families who are cut off from their loved one or who might not be able to get the information that they want. Um, and we as an office sit in the middle of, of big systems, healthcare and justice, big systems in, uh, in any society and definitely in ours. Um, and one of the things we learn about in the community resiliency model is about mirror neurons and how actually we are all interconnected. Whether we like it or not, we are all interconnected by this brain pattern that we have, these neurons that we have, which allow us to pick up um, how others are. Um, And so when you're an investigator attempting to be independent and impartial, these are the two big words for investigators. When you're attempting to be that and you're caught in the midst of systems understanding that there's a transfer of feelings and emotions because of the mirror neuron system is really, really helpful. Uh, The other piece, I think that one of the most appealing things to me about the community resiliency model is no blame, no shame. This is a biological model. 
nobody is to feel it was all their fault. And I suppose it connects to what you were saying, Elaine, about self-compassion. I don't need to blame anyone else. I also don't need to blame myself. Um, I don't need anyone else to be shamed. I also don't need to be ashamed myself. What occurs because of stress and trauma is, is a bio, it's a biological experience from which we can be liberated uh, by using the skills. Uh, prisoners are no different than anyone else. In fact, they may have a far greater dose of trauma uh, and stress in their lives than many other people. That is in no way um, to excuse what anyone has done. It is a simple statement of explanation about, about someone's lives. So, for example, um, indicative research tells us that 25% of prisoners have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is then connected to anxiety, depression, etc., etc., uh, likely that individual, whoever they might be, has been failed by a whole system. They don't feel resilient. They may feel very ashamed. They may blame themselves. But actually, they can be um, taught using the skills to think differently. Now, it's not my job. Sorry, Elaine. I'm wondering, Leslie, too, because you're talking about you know, many prisoners come back out of prison and go back into society. Oh, yeah. And yes. in terms of if they have had a lot of trauma, then if they can have this new lens of maybe, as you said, looking at what happened to them. And again, not to say this as an, an excuse, but an explanation. Absolutely. Do you think this could start a trajectory that might, you know, encourage them to invest more in their well-being and that could help them um, reintegrate into society afterwards? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I'm quite sure that that's true. I think the, we call it the revolving door syndrome where prisoners go in and out and round and round the system um, and I think that reflects actually that circular trauma pattern that's in our brain it just plays out in real life where people uh, repeat the old pattern and that's exactly what's happening in a brain pattern so breaking the pattern um, in a good way is, is bound to be helpful at the well-being end of things. Uh, no, it's not my job to teach all of that, but it is my job to reflect um, with with the prison service and with the health trust on what might better serve prisoners in order that they can be rehabilitated. That's a great ambition of the justice system, of course, to rehabilitate prisoners. But without that wellness piece, it's not going to happen. Okay, and so I'm just kind of curious, how is it being received, these kinds of ideas, um, Leslie? How are they be being received? Um, I, I think uh, very well. I think, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to do to interpret what we're talking about here. That's not easy to interpret into a big system, um, where the, the system's response is always, "We don't have the resources for that." Um, that's always the beginning point. So you have to look for the little things. And again, this is something Krim teaches to look for little things. Notice little things. It's those little things that make the big changes. So that's been a learning for me. I've been in this post for two years. I would like to change the world in 12 months, but I need to slow it down and find one little thing that will make a difference. Um, and that's a good learning for me, but it also opens up a door of possibility for others whether it be the individual prisoner or the prison system or the health system or whatever it's going to be, the little things make the difference. Well, I, I kind of want to segue from that point for, to both of you. And Leslie, I'll, I'll start with you. I know you've shared some of your life story and I'm just wondering, you know, how, um, how your life challenges illuminated your life's purpose. I always get so um, encouraged when I talk to you. Um, because oh, I know well, life yeah. hasn't always been easy. So could you illuminate this a little bit? And then I'll come to Jolina with the same question. Uh, well, you asked earlier about um, our, our definition of resiliency. And I didn't give you a definition. Um, I gave you a, a lot of talking. Uh, I suppose one, one aspect of resiliency that's really important um, for me as I reflect back on my life, I can't say as I reflected forward, it was the same, but meaning and purpose and making a difference. Um, and, and to me, resiliency resonates with those ideas very, very strongly. Um, 
so I want then to, to go back to what you actually asked me, which is life experience. So I would point to two, I suppose, um, things in my life that, that made a significant difference to me. And I suppose put me on a, on a wellness search for lots of different reasons. Um, one, I, I have Crohn's disease. Um, when I was in my uh, late 20s, early 30s, I guess, I was really very, very ill and actually thought I, I was probably going to die. I don't think that I was the only one who thought that. Uh, my parents thought that. Uh, friends and neighbours thought that. People kind of filled up when they met me because they thought, you know, she's fading away. I was fading away. Um, and and that, that I think... Um, it taught me actually how strong the body's will to live is um, because I don't think that that was an academic decision I made that I would stay alive. Somehow my body led that, that event of staying alive um, and, and just holding on then through other difficult times to that strength that is actually within us, uh, within our being and our the way we're knitted together, it's like the will to live is knitted right into the center of us. So that's been a helpful thing. Uh, there was then a time in my life when the will to live almost left me for a completely different reason. And it was, um, it was an, an experience, event, an encounter um, with someone who visited on me, I would say, an experience that I certainly did not uh, wish for. And I, I was left uh, with every breath in my body trying to believe that staying alive was a good thing. Um, so being able to connect back to the previous experience was really important. Um, but I would, I would say this about that experience, and it was probably the worst time in my life. Um, and it, is, it was living inside some kind of post-traumatic stress experience. It was, it was it was absolutely horrendous, so let me not underplay it. But it was the time when I found Elaine Miller Carras's book and the time when I began then the, the resiliency um, journey. And for if I can be grateful for that experience, which I really don't want to be grateful for that horrendous experience, let me tell you, I am great for the, grateful for this little discovery which has turned out to be a life-changing discovery so thank you for it. thank you well, i never quite said that to me in that way so now with tears in my eyes again thank you because i think you're a living example of what else is true and our listeners have heard me say this many times so thank you so much for that sweet story and i feel so um i have so much gratitude to have to know you um leslie so with Thank that, Julia, this is a hard act to follow. Have you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, like, I just took my breath away. I'm not sure right, I'm going to be able to answer the question. So can you maybe illuminate a little bit how your life, you told us a little bit how your life challenges when you came over, you know, but how does it illuminate your life's purpose now? Um, so <laughs> I think, well, you can you can see what a, what a force of nature Leslie is. So I think meeting her and 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 being presented the model by someone who was so bought into it in a way that you could really see that this was something that was special. Um, because I have to say, one of the things about um, being an American abroad. Is people tend to have stereotypes for some reason. Really? I have no idea why. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so sometimes when you're, you know, resiliency and 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 that language and and some of the um, language that's used around health and well-being and and especially when you're saying, oh, it's coming from California, you know, people get a people get an idea in their head of what they think it might be and and whether or not it's going to be tough enough. To, to deal with with the trauma that that they've experienced. Um, and I think for me, so I know for me, a lot of what's, what's shaped my experience and my idea of resiliency, um, the household that I grew up in, I have a father who's deaf and working with in the deaf community and growing up within that community, the challenges that people faced just because they couldn't hear, which when I, because I, because it's something that's so normal to me, I was kind of going, why, 
why would people even think about it? Like they can't hear that doesn't mean they're fully functional people, but the, the obstacles that were presented to people and being able to see the resiliency in that, but also the impact that that had on people. So I think, you know, growing up in, in that environment where you're, you're within a community that, that is resilient um, because it has to be um, in order to, to overcome the obstacles to, to, to go to university or to, to do simple things like make a phone call, you know, you know, those different things that you have to fight for, for simple, that simple solutions that, that will present themselves when, when the voices are loud enough to demand them. And so coming from that perspective into Northern Ireland, where, there is a unique history and, you know, the, the work that I started here was working with in um, ethnic minority communities and working with victims um, who had experienced hate crime um, because of their, because of their race. And, you know, um, working with, with people who didn't realize the strength that they had by virtue of, of surviving that and, a, and, and sometimes a larger acknowledgement from society and the people around them that, you know, just by virtue of what they had experienced, there was a strength that, that was in that. Again, as Leslie was saying, it's not something you want to be grateful for. You, you, you know, you're never going to tell someone, aren't you glad that you experienced this trauma? Because look at, look at how strong you are as a person. Like, that's, that's not helpful. And, and so I think the community resiliency model that, that it's biology, not weakness, is such a powerful message. Because the people that we're talking to, sometimes people go in and, and then they'll just say things like, I, I didn't expect to react that way. Why did I, I react that way? And for me, being able to, to give people an answer that instantly makes sense to them has just been for me, uh, it, it's been such a point of growth, I think, in development for me, kind of going, oh, right. And when I look at it, it makes sense. It's making sense to you because it makes sense to me. And I've, I've seen it work and I've seen the passion and the buy-in that people have around that. And I can see that it's already it's reducing the harm that's been done to you just when you see that little light bulb go on in people's heads going, all right, yeah, no, I survived and that reaction helped me survive. And so it didn't matter how we reacted. It's the reaction is what I needed to do to survive. So there's no better way to react. It's just the reaction that's needed in that point to survive. And I think for me, it's, it's, it, that's exactly what I look at my life and go, however I reacted it was to survive whatever that moment was in my life and so it was what needed to happen at that time so it's like it gave you a new window to look at behaviors not only for yourself but for the people that you serve because you know obviously the people that you serve have gone through some terrible things and they're coming for help because you provide service for all of Northern Ireland is that correct in terms of anyone in Northern Ireland can contact your organization Yes. So anyone who has been um, impacted by crime, has been a victim of crime, can contact us and we will discuss with them what their support options are and do our best to put in place whatever it is that they feel that they need in order to to recover from from that trauma. Um, And while we don't provide counseling, we do make sure that people are connected into services and facilities and have the information that they need to feel empowered to access that. One of the things that um, I wanted to ask you, um, was there a particular story that you would want to tell about bringing this forward? I mean, you've given us some generalities, but I think there was maybe a story that you might want to tell about um, serving um, your community. Was there a particular uh, story that comes to mind, either amongst your staff or... Uh, you look a little surprised. <laughs> no, no, sorry. No. There's, there's, there's a lot of stories. So okay. just when you said that, I was like... Well, yes, there are, there are, Elaine. How much time do we have? No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll disguise the story so that we don't want to, you know, reveal so, anyone's, you know, confidentiality, but, you know. Yes, I so just a very, cool. just a very small thing, um, just picking up on the theme um, that, that Leslie was saying there, that seemed like such a small thing, but had such a big impact. So the way we've rolled out CRIM within our, orga- um, within our organization is that, we have started with all of our staff um, from um, all echelons of the organization right up to the board members. So it didn't matter what role you were in. It didn't matter if you were facing clients or not facing clients. You all need to take this training because you need to understand the language that we're going to be losing, using in order to address 
um, what we're experiencing as an organization, because whether you are conscious of it or not, constantly dealing with other people's trauma can be traumatic. So um, one of the stories after our very first training, so it's myself and three other trainers who um, I am very grateful for, and you know, none of this would be happening without them. So Patricia and Margaret and Nicola, I'm going to mention them. Um, and um, next time you were on here, they're going to be with me. I've already warned them about that because, you know, just their examples and working with them has been amazing. But after we trained one of our admin support teams, so they are our frontline. They are making the calls, offering the services, explaining what the service is. And sometimes it's a cold call. Sometimes it's, they're never calling someone on their good days. You know, if we're, if we're dealing with someone, it's because they've had possibly the worst day of their life. So one of our admin support team made a phone call and the person that he was talking to had literally just five minutes before seen the perpetrator of, of the crime that, that um, they were a victim of. And what our support officer was able to do was talk that person from a place of high anxiety, not being able to breathe, not being able to even understand what they were being asked on the phone to being able to sit down, get an idea of their surroundings. So it was very much a, where are you? Where do you feel safe? Go to a place where you feel safe, sit down, take a deep breath, um, count your breaths, count the items, you know, so it was, it was kind of going through, what is it? Is that helping you? No. Okay. Let's move on to the next thing. Is that helping you? And then staying with that um, to the point where they were able to, within five, 10 minutes, able to get them to a point where they were able to understand why they had been called by us, um, a plan of action of what they were going to do next because they were in a public space. So do you have someone who's going to be able to come pick you up? Are you going to be able to drive? Who are you going to call after this? Um, to be able to do that and to be able to set up an appointment for further support with ourselves. So, you know, it, and it was probably about three weeks after that person had been trained. So it was something that was still new. People were still getting an idea of, of what it, what it was. And these are people, a lot of when we're training the crim, you know, we always say to people, listen, you're doing this probably every day in your work, but you maybe just don't have the language for it. And this is going to give you the language for it and define it and give you skills that you'll have and that you'll be able to pass on. And the, the support officer just reported back how they were able to really understand what it was they were doing and they were doing it with intent and with purpose and, under, and understanding the reaction that was going on in that person's biology to be able to get them to a place where they were able to logically think and not just survival brain think. So the um, cortex was back online again. And they exactly. And these are, and these are the amazing. leaders of your organization. And they don't necessarily have a PhD, right? They, they, anyone can learn these skills and then share them with exactly. It's a wonderful story. Thank you. Well, we're getting ready to close. And I, I'm looking at my dear friend, Leslie. Um, and I want to ask her, because I know, Leslie, you didn't know this was going to happen to victim support in Northern Ireland, that they, would gonna, they were going to integrate uh, the community resiliency model. And I'm just wondering, how are you doing right at this moment as you're hearing Jolena talk about these stories and knowing that everyone's been trained? What's going I just on think, in your mind right now, my friend? What's going on in my mind? I just think it's so fantastic. I really, really do. Um, I had envisaged uh, the, the model useful to victims um, victims of the conflict in particular and hadn't really moved on to thinking of it in terms of victims of crime generally until I was working at victim support and I was thinking, why not? Um, so having having spent two years there and seen the passion and also a little bit of frustration amongst staff that they weren't maybe feeling they, they were doing the very best they could do with people. I, I don't mean they weren't doing their very best, but wishing they could do a little bit more. And I'm, I really hope, Juliana, that this allows staff, never mind victims and all the rest of it, to feel that they're doing a little bit more, making a little bit more of a difference because that's so life-giving and you need to have something life-giving when you're working in a, in a world like that. But also, of course, then to be able to spread these skills around. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So proud of you all. So um, 
as we're getting ready to close, I'm just, I'm sure there are people that are listening that say, well, how do I get in touch with Jolena and Leslie if we want to do something in our part of the world like you've done? So um, how would they get in touch with you, um, Leslie? Where would they contact you? Oh, I think the dogs are all of a sudden. I don't know if it's my dogs or your dogs. <laughs> I'm gonna... For once, it's not my dogs. Um, you can Facebook message me. So if you're listening, you're probably on Facebook. So you could Facebook message me. You could email me at lesliecarroll at me.com um, uh, or you could contact me through Yuli, I, I imagine. And for us... Oh, there you go. Um, and then how about for you, Jolena? How can people get in touch with you? For us, the best way is to go to our website, victimsupportni.com or on Facebook, Victim Support Northern Ireland. And if you message us there, we have an online chat facility, we have a message facility, and we are a small enough organization that um, we will answer anyone's queries and everyone will know where to find me if it's one of us you're looking for. Right. And I want to thank you both for staying up late because I know it's close to nine o'clock in Northern Ireland right now. And again, um, the work that you're doing in the world and as women leaders, I will never forget. And I hope that you can embrace that, you know, both of you. And um, I want to thank our listeners too. And and if anything, um, I'm hearing them both talk about the question again, what else is true in your life? You both have given illustrations of, yes, going through suffering and seeing suffering and then making something out of it. And I hope that all of our listeners think about what else is true. Um, next week, I will have Cami Wolf-Rice, who will be on our show, who will talk to us about the Christopher Wolf crusade. And this is in the memory of her son, who, who died from an overdose of opioids. So see you next week. And again, thank you, both of you, for being with us today. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.